Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week I want to talk a little bit about magic and psionics. We had a little bit of a chat over on the Discord server. You can find a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to join the conversation. But basically about psionics, I like psionics. I know some people feel that they are too, quote, sci-fi. And other people don't like that they're complicated. We're talking about OD&D psionics and AD&D psionics. And I know that in second edition, psionics became effectively a class. And the powers of the psionics became, in my opinion, closer in mechanics to spellcasting, which ties into what I want to talk about, which is that many people think of psionics as just another kind of spellcasting. And if that is the case, if that's how it mechanically it's treated, then all spellcasting is treated the same. And would it be fun or interesting to basically have all different flavors of spellcasting because the mechanics are the same? Or possibly change the mechanics on various flavors of spellcasting to make them maybe more interesting for some tables. Okay, so let's get into this a little bit. And I'll go in a couple of different directions. And I would love to hear from you guys about what you think. Number one, if you don't know much about psionics, I'm going to do just a quick overview. I am not an expert. I don't have the books in front of me. I'm just talking about what I understand and what I've used. If you have used psionics more extensively and I'm saying something wrong or you uh, you disagree with something, then please do call in. In OD&D, Psionics were added in the Eldritch Wizardry supplement. You, They're not available to everybody. They are not a class. You need high attribute scores in certain places, and I believe they're human only, but I'd have to check that. Maybe halflings too. You roll if when you first make a character. If you, are, if you have psychic potential, you could have Psionics. And Psionics are broken down into uh, mental attacks, mental defense, and then talents. How many of that you get and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that. But effectively, when you think about how the magic system in OD&D works, where your magic user has, let's say a second level magic user has two first level spells uh, or maybe three first level spells, they memorize their spell at the beginning of the day and they might have a spell book full of, unlike BX, where the spell book only holds a spell you know. In OD&D, you could have a spell book with a bunch of spells in it. You pick the spells you want, you memorize the ones you want, you can cast it, done. The way psionics work is you have, you may or may not have these mental powers. Let's say you have, I don't know, ESP. When you use it, it uses up points of your psionic strength, which are regained over time. Not the next day, not you rememorize it. It just, when you rest and stuff, you get them back. It's a completely different system. There's also an entire psionic combat system that goes with psionics. So psionics is in itself a completely separate system. It is, while some of the abilities are like spells, in OD&D, Psionics is a completely different system. It is not spellcasting, not at all. And I think maybe, at least partially, is that's why people don't like it. Because it's a whole other system that only some characters can have. It doesn't come up very often. And it's just something else to have at the table that they don't want to deal with. But, well, I like Psionics. So I and I love subsystems, as we know, so I'm all about it. But that, I'm going to keep going forward in AD&D. They revamped it slightly. The, just how you get the psionics is a little bit different, like how you achieve your different uh, when you get your abilities and stuff. Otherwise, it basically is the same. There's attacks, there's defenses, there's the talents, wild talents, it might be called. And then when it comes to second edition AD&D, like I said, they make it a class. I don't think you can have psionics unless you are a psionicist, which I think they call it. 
and I don't remember if they have attack and defense anymore, but I do remember I have the book. <laughs> I should go get it. it. It has a lot of stuff about the wild towns. Like it did seem so much more about the talents. I think they still use different points and you still get back psionic power in a different way. Daniel from the future here. Uh, as I'm editing this, I'm seeing that uh, I pulled out the psionic book from second edition. They still do have attack and defense. It's just a completely different system. So you've got your attack, you've got your defense, but as noted, the wild powers and stuff are much more the focus. But otherwise that. Going forward, I don't know third, fourth edition. I didn't play them. In fifth edition, they did a Unearthed Arcana for a psionic class, and I had a player play them, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and whoosh, if somebody played this class, remind me, but I'm 99% sure that it just used the regular 5e spellcasting system. That is, the psionicist had X number of talents, that were memorized, all kind of like a sorcerer or a warlock. They didn't like to memorize them out of a book. They just had them, and they could use them X number of times per day. They had slots, basically. So that's cool. And I really wanted to add Scion, and there's a lot of different psionics. I mean, I could do an entire episode just about psionics. And speaking of that, my video on Tuesday on my channel will be about my psionic system that's not the OD&D one, not the AD&D one, not the second edition one, but the one that I was inspired by a blog post to finish because they had kind of started it. And I'm going to go through that whole thing. So if you follow my YouTube channel, you'll be able to see that on Tuesday. If you don't follow the YouTube channel, then I'll put a link in the description and you can follow me over there. I appreciate it. So you got a little uh, advanced notification there, right? That you're going to, you're going to, you're going to know what the video is about this week. In any case, psionics is really super interesting. And I think, again, one of the reasons why I'm drawn to it is, I mean, not just the mental powers, which I think is super cool, but also because it's a different flavor. Even if you use psionics, as more like a spell casting, I think that it's cool to have it be different. When we think about spell casting, like if I think about magic and spells, I can think of a lot of different ways that spells could be cast. And I personally, when I play in OSR games as magic users, I oftentimes will flavor my character's magic a certain way, especially in one shots. Most DMs are fine with whatever you whatever you say, as long as it doesn't change the actual rules. So for instance, I had a magic user that would get up in the morning and create little fetishes and these fetishes held the magic. And when they broke the fetish, it would cast the spell, right? So again, same kind of deal. I had a character in a prehistoric game who would, uh, her her uh, her spell was like in a cave painting wall. Was that in, Loaf? I forget if I, can, if I can think, oh, it's Wolves in Winter Snow, I believe is the name of the game. It was really cool. Uh, and what she would do is she would, she would paint on her body the, the symbols for the spell, and then when she cast it, she would like basically spit in her hands or like dunk them in water or whatever. And she would smudge and rub and ruin the spell on her body. And when she did that, it cast the spell. And she did that in kind of a ceremonial way. Or were those things in the games? No, they were it was basically fancy and magic. You just memorize and you cast. But I felt like it was a fun way to have my character cast. And it didn't change any of the actual rules or change the way the spells functioned. But what if we decided, hey, you're going to play a magic user when you roll them up. Tell me how your spells work. And we let people create their own way of casting spells. I mean, granted, if somebody just is like, well, fancy and I'm fine. But if somebody says, you know, I draw circles around my body on the ground with a stick and I do a dance or whatever. And maybe we make a mechanic for that that's slightly different. Maybe we make miniature casting systems that aren't too far from the original for our individual players so that everybody has a different vibe going. You know, the person with the painting on their body 
is one thing. Let's say if we did that, maybe they're limited by how much they can paint on their body, right? I mean, there's only so much space on your body where you can paint these spells, right? That could be a limitation to them. But maybe we don't limit them at spell levels or whatever. We just say you can store this many spell levels on your body, and that's from level one. So if you get a high-level spell, you could paint it all over your body, but that's the only spell you're going to carry. Again, risk-reward, which I really love in a game. If we do the fetishes thing, maybe they cost time and money, and maybe it's 100 gold pieces every time you make one. But if you don't use it, then you can make more the next day. And how many you make per day is what you're limited on. But maybe you also need a space to do it. You can't do it in the wild. So you might have a character take a week off uh, of rest time, spend 3,000 gold pieces that they earned during the, the thing to create like 10 spells, even though they're second level and really should only be able to cast two. But once they cast all 10 of these, they have nothing until they make more, which means that... They've got to quest to find the money. They have to take the time to do it. And if they get stuck out in the wilderness and they can't make more fetishes, they effectively don't have spells. This changes not much, really, and it creates a different mini system for each of your magic users. And let's come to the psionicist. Let's say we use uh, you say, I use magic as psionics. Fine. You're going to do that. Let's have some kind of thing. In order to activate your power, you've got to make an intelligence check. And if you fail that check... You know, you're basically pushing yourself too much. The spell doesn't go off and you take damage. I'm not normally somebody who's in favor of taking damage when you cast spells, but it might be if you fail to cast a spell. And none of this, if you roll a one, then no, no, I'm talking about you fail to cast it, you take damage. That's more like a psionicist that I would see. Bloody nose, your eyes are bleeding, your intense headache, you might even pass out, right? This is the risk you take for never having to memorize spells, being able to cast as much as you want effectively, but every time you cast is risk. What do you think of this? Do you think that magic can be this diverse? Do you think that would just send things off the rails? Is this something that you'd use in your games? I would love to know. By the way, none of this is the, for the psionic system that I'm going to talk about on Tuesday. This is all other stuff. So let me know what you think about magic. How do you like to use it? Have you ever done this? Am I crazy? Do you just want, no, no, you know, officially they made this many classes and that's why they made them and they're play tested and that's what we do. Or are you just like, yeah, man, let's just create what we want because it's our table. And you know what? If it's totally crazy and doesn't work out, then you just tell the player, hey, it's not working. We got to change it. By the way, when I play tested my psionics that I'm going to talk about on Tuesday, that's what happened. I just pulled the player to the side and I said, listen, this is not working out. It's way more powerful than I thought it was going to be. It's kind of unbalanced. And they were like, cool, let's figure out a way to make it work. Because most players are awesome. They want to be there to have a great time. Most players aren't going to be like, no, 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 it's in the paper. It's just, I don't I don't fathom these situations where people are so worried that the players won't work with you. If you work with them and you give them the ability to try something awesome, they should understand and do understand in my, my experience that if it goes off the rails, it's cool to change it. Anyways... I'd love for you guys to call in and let me know what you think. If you check the show notes below, you will find several things, one of which is a link to Anchor, where you can leave a message. One's a link to my Discord. If you join up, you can get into the conversation always. And of course, you can send me a message on Discord, uh, you know, via a voice message, you know, attach it or whatever, and I will play it here. And there's also a link to my Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. In any case, I have a couple calls, so let's hear them now. Hey, Daniel. I wanted to say fantastic job with OSR October. You really nailed it. You really hit it out of the park. I'm so happy that um, you're going to be switching up the format for 
this next season of the Bandits Keep podcast. I really enjoyed the um, the kind of you diving back in and uh, taking a look at some of those uh, products that you really enjoyed, uh, and was hoping that uh, that you might do some more because uh, you've really uh, recommended some that uh, that I had not heard of before or uh, had heard of in passing, but not quite in the detail that you provided. So that was fantastic. And yeah, I really liked your sign off in the last episode too, how uh, even if you sat at the table and people were playing with only D8s and everyone was a lizard person, you would still know how to play because you know what our OSR is and you know what D and D is in your heart. And I think that was well said. Um, yeah. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. That was direct son. Thank you so much for your kind words. Yes. I will definitely uh, talk more about some supplements and stuff. I really enjoy doing that. And yeah, I guess on some level, my mind wasn't really changed. <laughs> it almost like went back to my original mindset, which was, and I don't know if I said this or no, it's October, but I will say it now. That when I first got it back into playing, I was, we we're going to play a 5e game and the dungeon master bailed out like last minute and we had character sheets because we had made them. Uh, you know, we did a session zero and I just found an adventure online. I actually had the dungeon master's guy, which wasn't particularly useful, um, you know, for me at that moment, I didn't have the player's handbook yet. And I literally with the character sheets and some dice, I was able to run an adventure and play it because D&D is D&D and you can play it. it you know, the, the rules are really, as much as everybody wants to make the rules seem to be like they're the main thing. The main thing is the group and the vibe and the understanding of what's going on. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I ran it and I ran 5e and everybody enjoyed it. And it ended up being an over three year campaign. So clearly I must have done a decent job. And sure, as I got the player's handbook and the actual rules, I realized I did some things wrong. But the basic notions of it are the same. And I think that if you can recognize the basic notions of D&D in the game, then you're basically there. You know, you're playing whether you want to call it OSR, TSR, Daniel SR, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it is what it is. But thanks for your call. Hey, Daniel. Jason here. Excellent wrap up for OSR October. I, yeah, I don't know where I settle. I mean, you know, so effectively you settled on the OSR is like pornography thing where you know it if you see it. And... I, I can see that. I do question a little bit whether the OS... So I, I think one of the tricky things with the OSR is I really don't think it mirrors the way we played back in the day in some ways. You, you know, especially the, the zero to hero kind of thing. I, I think that's more of a British thing in, in the early days. I know we played much more uh, Monty Hall kind of thing. And talking to other people here in America, that seems to be the thing. And you've got, like, is it Stuart Marshall? You, you've got Brits involved in the early OSR, and you've got the influence of Warhammer and, and, you know, fighting fantasy and that pathetic aesthetic that the British gaming scene brings in. Um, so I, I wonder, I was talking with Che Webster about this the other day, and, you, you know, the idea of how much cross-pollinization is there in people's memories. I'm not saying some people didn't play Zero to Hero the whole time. I mean, maybe they did. But we sure didn't. And you look at Gygax's games are high powered. You look at you know other early things. When you know you look at um, Arduin and stuff like that, right? It you know it's definitely not you know zero one first second level characters mucking around in the mud. They're they're high powered things, high powered magic. 
So it's not, I, I think the OSR in some ways is an idealized state play style, which is totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think there's a disconnect in this is the way they really played in 75 or 76 compared to, hey, this is our preferred way to play. And as long as we're saying it's our preferred way to play, I think it's totally cool. I think to act like everybody played like this in the 70s and 80s is a total misrepresentation. But I'm not saying you're misrepresenting it. I'm just pontificating because I have your ear and your listener's ear. <laughs> I, I also sent you a link to Ray Otis's game. Ray Otis has done a game based on Tunnel Goons called Lords of Mars. And in Lords of Mars, we have not only the roleplay side, but the war game side. So that kind of might do what you want for Swords and Planets. The last thing I'll say is I look forward to your new format. I'm also going to cut down the number of episodes I'm putting out next month. But my format's going to stay the same wacky jumble of things it always has been. Um, But I do look forward to seeing what you put out in the future. Take care and keep up the great work. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks, Jason. You know, I th- I agree with you one hundred percent. I think I definitely didn't play uh, in the mud. I mean, you know, we would, you know, we would have scenes, of course, because you'd watch movies where they were like digging through the mud. But yes, we played heroic characters with lots of gold. And if you actually look at the rules and you roll the things the way it should be rolled, I mean, I suppose you could roll terrible. But if you actually follow the rules in a game like. I mean, I can't say in AD&D because I haven't rolled up in much treasure in AD&D in a long time. But if you look at OD&D 100% and you look at uh, BX, for instance, which were my, BX was my influence. Yeah, you should be, you know, in the idea of like you should be leveling up after every four. Adve- and I love this conversation because people say, well, but what's an adventure? No, an adventure is a session. So they're assuming you're going to level up every four sessions and they assume you're going to play a bunch. So you shouldn't be first level for a year. You know, that that's not, I mean, based on the rules, if people want to play that way, that's fine. But to think that like that's the only way to play or it's, that's some kind of an ideal way to play, I'm not sure I agree with that either. But what I, I do think is interesting about the OSR is that if we look at what is the what I would call the flagship of the OSR right now, which is OSE, which is based on BX rules, one thing that I actually really like about OSE is that if you look at the modules that I've, at least the ones I've seen so far that they've put out, if you look at how much treasure in them, it seems like they're actually paying attention to that. Like it was a refreshing thing to see, you know, a first level module where like there was, you know, whatever, like 1500 gold piece gem in there and not four copper pieces. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, you know? And also it's funny you say this because God, I don't know which one it's in, but there was a YouTube channel. Unfortunately, he's no longer around anymore he took he took everything down too which is a bummer but he, it was called something like D review but anyways he would do the really old modules like the original ones like the real original ones like the stuff from the dun- dungeoneer dungeoneer is that was called the the original um that uh janelle uh Jacques started which was eventually picked up by the, the judges guild but he had read one of the editorials at one point and they were like, okay, we're going to make a low level module like you're all asking because all of our adventures are way, you're saying way too powerful. So even the people putting out the adventures, like that were writing adventures early on, were making these crazy powerful adventures. In fact, I ran one at Gen Con. So yeah, I don't think that people were forced. You know what I'm wondering? I wonder if there is a group of the, the people that are the in the mud people, if they like took their first level characters and, you know, two first level characters or something, you know, their two friends made and then ran a dungeon and just like rolled everything. I was like, oh, four ogres and they got smushed. So they never <laughs> leveled up. And maybe that's just how they thought the game should be played. 
which again, I'm not saying it's not the way it should be played. You can play any way you want, but I, I wonder if that influences that, right? The people that went the other way that did, you know, like we definitely were more like story based with my friends. And we've talked about this before. I mean, we played Boot Hill as like a role playing game with no rules. I mean, we had ranches and <laughs> all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, I think it comes down to your group and how you want to play. And, and I think that is the beauty of it. The mechanics of it, the the idea of sitting around down around a table is the same as it was from the beginning. Like I just said, that that hasn't changed and when you sat down at somebody's table in 1975, I'm sure some tables were like, okay, you start off with a loincloth and a dagger. Oh, and by the way, there's seven trolls coming at you. And some people were like, oh, you walk into the first room and killed a kobold? Ah, 500,000 gold pieces. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, there's different types of people and different play styles. And, you know, it's just, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what's great. And one of the things I think is great about the indie or OSR or whatever the non, let's say, major company making stuff is that if anything, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting to see what people make, to see what people do. When I look at adventures written by the main company, the major companies, I don't find any of them very, I'm sorry. Sorry, you major companies making millions of dollars. I'm sure you care what I think, but <laughs> I don't find them exciting, you know? I, in fact, I don't even find later TSR modules that great, to be honest with you. It, like, you know, second edition, well, even late first edition modules, I don't find them that good. I find the older stuff much more interesting, where it's much more open-ended and, and more raw. To me, that is what the OSR is trying to bring back, that, that creation of the B1, let's say, right? This open cave with a weird story and uh, that kind of magic pools that you, one of them heals you, but the other one, you know, shrinks you. That to me is the OSR type stuff, not so much the levels that you're playing or anything like that, but just the the interesting weirdness and the it doesn't need to 100% always make sense. And of course, as I say that, you're going to find websites and blogs and stuff for the OSR that tell you it 100% has to make sense and it should do so. <laughs> so there we go. We go around in circles and I actually, like I said in the, the last one, I don't really care, I guess. It doesn't matter to me what, what people call the OSR and what they don't call the OSR. As long as people are having a great time playing and, as you like to say, Jason, being excellent to each other, that's that's all that really matters. So I'm glad that uh, you are still putting out awesome content. I just listened to Jason's uh, first, I think it was the first one, uh, Noir November episode, which I was not told about or else I would have done Noir. No, I wouldn't have. <laughs> if I put out another 30 podcasts in a row, I think I would probably collapse. So I'm glad OSR October happened. I think it was amazing. It got my juices pumping again. I'm going to look at more of these supplements, maybe go deeper into some of them, use some of them, maybe do some actual plays with them and continue to talk about gaming that I love and hopefully get people that have similar interests to listen and people who don't have similar interests to maybe look at it and go, hey, that's also a cool way to play and maybe contribute their ideas so that I can change and grow and learn and continue to play and continue to love this hobby. Please do leave me a message. If you have the opportunity, I'll talk to you soon.